Welcome to Confessional. I'm Kayla Shelton, along with Mike Moran. Tell us your deepest, your creepiest, your darkest. Confess to us. We won't tell. So you can tell us anything. No one's listening. On today's confessional, Billy the Kid. All right, everyone. Welcome to the Confessional Podcast. My name is Mike Moran, and I am joined, as always, by my faithful producer, Mr. Jimmy Seleski. Hello, hello. Jimmy from the Live from the Studio podcast, of course. Where can we find that, Jimmy? Uh, That's LFTS Podcast on everything. We're on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, everything. Fantastic. And uh, Jimmy... A lot of times our listeners, they want to participate in the confessional. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, where can they go if they want to write in a confession? Yes, if you'd like to have your confessionals discussed poorly on this show, uh, you can uh, send it in on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash confessionalpodcast. We have the official confessional podcast URL. Yeah, so take that. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Jimmy. Uh, My co-host today on The Confessional, good friend of mine, one of my favorite Baltimore comedians, Mike G. Howdy. Oh, you're already already getting into the spirit. Well, howdy, cowpokes. Now, you're in the cowboy spirit because we are discussing what, Mike? Billy the child. (laughs) Yes, the problem child. (laughs) Billy the kid. Billy the Kid. Mike, I've I've been waiting so long to do this episode. Yeah, you guys sound excited about it. I'm a it. Billy the Kid nerd, and I don't know why, but I am. I'm not even into the Old West all that much. But let, me, let me ask you this. Have what? you ever seen Billy the Kid, the documentary about uh, just a kid named Billy? Oh, the the kid with the... Uh, yeah, I have seen that. Yeah. Great, great documentary. That is good. Yeah, that yeah. is. A totally different uh, subject. Unrelated. But, uh, but still a good documentary that maybe we'll discuss in the future. What you got going on these days, Mike? You got anything you want to plug or promote or talk uh, about? Nah, I, uh, just doing a lot of stand-up. It's getting weirder and weirder. Of course. And uh, less and less funny. <laughs> <laughs> but fun. More sure, and more sure. fun. Uh, I'm, I'll be tonight. I'll be at Zissimo's tonight. Well, I'll this isn't going to be out tonight, but... <laughs> What tomorrow? <laughs> you can you can probably just throw that out there for any day. Like I'll probably be at Zismos. Okay, I'll say this. Yeah, Thursday well, through Sunday I'll probably be at Zismos. <laughs> Monday I'll probably be at Sidebar. Right. Tuesdays I'll probably be at right. nineteen nineteen. Well, okay, on September twenty sixth I will be at you will be your at, birthday that party. Is correct, sir. which I'm and, very excited and for. And my new special recording. Oh yeah, this is gonna be awesome. Yeah. Um, and today, Mike, our guest on the confessional. This is one of the only, the few other Billy the Kid nerds that I know uh, in person. I have found an online community, which uh, that's you not know. shocking, right? Yeah, you can imagine the amount of women I'm getting from being involved <laughs> in that. Uh, but local Baltimore musician, writer, cook, right? Does all sorts of stuff. Stuff. Derek Credito. Did I pronounce that right? Did. Awesome. How you doing, man? Doing well. It's a hot August day, and uh, glad to be here. Yeah, excited to have you. Anything you got going on that you want to uh, talk about or plug up front? Um, on the creative front, I guess I've been kind of working on things uh, quietly. Um, I've been writing a novel 
and it's kind of a slow process, so I mm. guess I'm maybe not totally ready to plug it yet, but it's, you know, um, it okay. should be finished, I'd say, sometime within this year. And awesome. I'm, we'll come back when it's done, and we can uh, talk yeah, about it. Yeah, for sure. All right. Derek, Mike, today we are discussing Billy the Kid. Once again, <laughs> just in case, in case you, you just joined us. Uh, let's start with a confession. This is from Heather Knoll, Alston, Texas. Billy the Kid is from my hometown of Silver City, New Mexico. He started his life of crime there, stealing some laundry and escaping jail after he was caught. He was a really well-behaved kid until his mom died of TB. She's buried in Silver City out by the bowling alley. She was supposedly a really friendly and fun person. She and Billy used to go to the town dances with the local Mexicans. They were great dancers and well-liked. Most whites were pretty stuck up at the time, but Billy's family had been considered Irish trash on the East Coast, so they were pretty humble. Fascinating. Yeah. Just to clarify, that bowling alley, that was new. That wasn't around during the Billy the Kid's mom. <laughs> you didn't hear about the great bowling alley shootout of the I don't know how old bowling alleys are to you. <laughs> why would the bowling alley be there at that time? But, like, why is she buried next to it then? Well, be, I don't know if you know how uh, time works, Mike. But what happens is you put someone in the ground, and then later they build other stuff. Build a bowling alley. Oh, God. you got to hold your breath the whole time you're Maybe it's at the that bowling alley. Antrum uh, Memorial Bowling Alley. You know? I don't know how old that bowling Maybe it's old. Who kn- I don't know. How we old are not here to discuss bowling alleys, Mike. <laughs> All right. Oh, my God. Derek, I apologize. Let's. Uh... Okay. That raises some interesting points that, according to legend, and I think history as well, uh, Billy was brought up to be very friendly to different ethnicities, and uh, that w- that kind of be- became part of his um, his whole deal was like the Hispanics uh, liked him and protected him from authorities because he was not only respectful to them, but he also was kind of fighting against the government monopoly that had screwed them so badly. Yes, and I would say that Billy, um, having been born in New York and later relocated out west, he really went from one melting pot to another. Right. And I think he was all those things. I think that in his portrayal, the portrayals of Billy in film, like in Young Guns, uh, both uh, part one and two, yeah. um, really showed um, someone who was more culture than the average white guy of the 1880s right, right, right. And, or 1870s. And um, so... He stood out for that reason. Yeah, I think that's true that he really, he wasn't the average kind of just uh, dumb thug, you know? Like, that. I think he gets kind of lumped in with other outlaws, you know? Like, he wasn't a Bonnie and Clyde, to, he wasn't an Al Capone, like, he wasn't just killing people. Like, he had some smarts to him, and he seemed to be fighting on the side of, you know... Uh, the downtrodden to some degree. And the way I see it, he was, you know, by all accounts, very popular with the ladies. Oh, yeah. Women liked him because he was a nice guy, I think. Right. I mean, women don't like, you know, jerks. So it's like, I don't mm. think that, maybe not to, well, I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to say. But I, I think that generally. That, I mean, he was a teenager. It is, honestly, at that age, I kind of feel like women do like jerks. Maybe they, I think the Hispanic women liked him because he was just cool to the Hispanics and also kind of a badass, but not a total you know, douchebag like a lot of these guys. He was a respectful badass, and I think that when you show someone respect, I think that that goes a long way. Right. And, you know, Emilio Estevez, who I think rendered one of the greatest uh, cinematic portrayals ever, um, I I think he really captured that. Like, he really brought Billy the Kid Uh uh, to a new generation of fans. Yeah, for sure, for sure. What are your thoughts on that, Mike? And this better not be bowling alley-related. 
<laughs> How many strikes? Not just kidding. <laughs> so, I, I you just got me thinking about like, the, like I think girls like a badass who's nice to them. So right, like right, you gotta right. be you gotta be killing people, but like giving her roses, and then you're and then they're like, oh, this guy's great. Right. But okay. if you're just giving them roses and not killing people, it's like right, right. Yeah, this is well, he he was kind of the James Dean of that time, I think. You know, like kind of the he he was a rebel. But it wasn't like he was just uh, go. He wasn't a bully, you know what not I mean? A bully. He was kind of fighting on the side of good. Was he like? P- I mean, not Peter Pan, Robin Hood. Like, was a he like of, robbing yeah. from the rich and giving to the poor type? Kind deal? of. I mean, he didn't. There's no accounts of him actually doing that per se. But he fought on behalf of the side that had been screwed by the local government monopoly for years okay. and years. And there's some debate. Um, as to whether he really did was he this like freedom fighter type figure like in hispanic folklore that's kind of what he's become um or was he uh or are we romanticizing it too much and really he was just kind of working with it was just kind of one gang fighting the other for control of the monopoly i would say that the answer to that question mike might um might lie in a book if you could get a book about billy the kid that is perhaps written in spanish uh-huh by um, by an Hispanic author, like say for example, if you were to right. say take a vacation to Mexico, you might go into a bookstore and find a book on Billy. Yeah, the Kid in you know, Spanish. I want to do that honestly because I I looked around and there's no solid collection of what they call uh, El Chivato stories, El which Chivato, is yeah. Hispanic folklore from like the late 1800s, early 1900s about Billy the Kid. Um, no one's really like gone around and, and made a collection of it. And I want to do that. And because essentially the Billy the Kid narrative has been controlled by white male writers, and I think if you got another perspective, it would be good to read a book written by a woman author. Right, for right. That matter, you know, just somebody. Yeah. Uh, we need diverse voices. Right. I will say that history has been kind to Billy the Kid, but it has not been kind to every old Western uh, sure. figure. Like you know, sure. Jesse James. Uh-huh. I don't know that much about Jesse James, but his name doesn't come up as much. He's not as celebrated for whatever reason. Yeah, I don't think he was as virtuous as. I think he was more of a thug, honestly. He, he must have been because I, history will generally be kind to the virtuous. Right. Well, I'll tell you the the weird thing that everybody forgets about that whole story though uh, is. The kind of the winner of the Lincoln County War, in a way, was a woman named Susan McSween, who was like, I think, um, actually uh, part black. Was she the white of Alex McSween? Yes. Yeah. And her husband was murdered by the by the troops. And, um, you know, uh, but she ended up inheriting a lot of like the the cattle. And she became like the biggest cattle queen of the West at that time, which was like unheard of at that time. And uh, so, yeah, I want to see more stuff written and, and made about her because, like, sure, you know, it really is kind of amazing that. And in a way, Billy was kind of like fighting on her behalf. You know, um, you got anything to add to that, Mike? Well, did you come up with the term cattle queen, or is that a thing? Well, they say cattle king. Oh, I've never heard that. Yeah, that was like an old west thing, like. Cattle King. Yeah, absolutely. it was so unfortunate when you know that watching that scene in the first Young Guns where that that nice little country house got shot to pieces. Yeah, and they were like her, Alex was like the the lawyer, and right? He, he was always like high strung, and I I remember like watching that movie like oh god this guy's gonna die because he's just such a right, high right. strung. Yeah, the spaz always has to die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good for me. In real life, apparently, he had a nervous breakdown in the house while it was on fire. Wow. And that's when Billy kind of became the leader of the gang, uh, when he was, like, the one who kept it cool. 
and um, kept everybody organized and like got the kids in the because I think like Susan McSween and the kids they they couldn't run out because the army would shoot at them. So they, uh, Billy organized like a, uh, a diversion. And that's like when he really proved himself was he just like walked out in front of all the bullets and just led like this, you know, just like this diversion party that just walked right into the stream of bullets. Or if we believe the film, he popped out of the trunk like a jack in the Yeah, box. unfortunately that actually didn't happen. But oh, go ahead, Mike. I forgot. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Let's get to another confession. This one is from, uh, Marcelo Medina Jr., Horizon City, Texas. The true story of Billy the Kid is known by very few people. Billy the Kid was a good guy. He was a voice for the disenfranchised. He tried to right many wrongs, thus going up against the house. The Santa Fe Ring was an evil empire that stole people's lands, cattle, and livelihood. Billy was in his own way trying to help those disenfranchised people. That's why many Hispanic people loved him. That is what I believe to be the true story of Billy the Kid. Heart, American flag emoji. Heart, American flag. Heart, American flag. Heart, American flag. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess for listeners that don't know, the whole thing started from um, what was essentially a... Uh, the Mexican-American War is kind of what started the whole phenomenon. There's like a big... Um, kind of grab for land at that time like the government would incentivize people to come out and um start towns and stuff in the in what used to be mexico and so of course there's a lot of corruption and people buying contracts and there's also um providing uh indian reservations with with food and things like that so it's just a whole lot of corruption and people out coming out trying to stake their claim and that's where a lot of the wild west legend comes from you know just people fighting it out to uh stake their claim in this newly acquired land and uh billy kind of uh just became the the lead figure in that whole debacle um like you're saying, he really kind of stood out from the others because he was more charismatic and intelligent and well-spoken. And uh, go ahead. You know, well, the reason why I like Billy the Kid so much is I think because I like the way that he treats people. Mm -hmm. And this is just in the movies and in other media that we might have access to uh, portrayals. Right. But generally speaking, and maybe this is Emilio Estevez, but I mean, I think Billy mm -hmm. the Kid, he generally treated people very well. The way I see it, if I don't like someone... It's because I don't like the way that they treat others, the way they treat people. And so I think that part of Billy's mm -hmm. appeal was that he he just he was a people person. Yeah. And he was yeah. a people pleaser. Right, right. And he never really seemed like he was out to offend anybody, mm -hmm. but even even as so many people were going after him and and I would also like to say that it's heartening to hear this confessional, second confessional of the day from Texas, um, where Billy is being really commemorated in such a right. nice way. So yeah. I, I think that's really cool. Like Texas um, might be sort of like a hotbed for Billy mm -hmm. the Kid uh, mm -hmm. fans. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure it is. Yeah, for sure. Um, what I think it was really interesting is, uh, you know, he sticks up for the disenfranchised. Mm. And like, I don't even know, besides like McDonald's, like which other franchises were around <laughs> back then. <laughs> Oh I my goodness! Help <laughs> That's what you're here for, Mike. <laughs> I told you, me and Derek are gonna nerd the hell out, and you <laughs> need to make smart-ass comments, which is normally my job. Um, but I do think we should acknowledge the fact that that is the version of of this whole story that you and me want to believe too. We want to see Billy as this like freedom fighter and this symbol of justice. Um, but. Can we really say for sure that we know that? Well, 
we would really need to acquire an oral history, mm. like maybe somebody who could attest to that. I mean, some people even have said that there's there's maybe I don't want to call it a conspiracy, but you know, Billy the Kid might not have died at the age of 21. He may have died a very old man. Um, who had a chance to tell his story. Well, yeah, But that's maybe. also a legend in and of itself. I mean, that's so. like, uh, you know, there's... there's uh, that's a whole other thing. But, like, that's... So actually, one of the confessions gets into that later. But um, that's like, you know, they kind of make that claim about everyone. <laughs> so, Elvis you know, who like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... I was just talking this morning about like there's theories that Hitler didn't die. Right, right, right. There's theories. It would ruin that. the whole kid narrative, too. Right, Billy right. the old man. man doesn't sound Billy the man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't sound as good. Well, what what do you think they would have done if he had gotten old? There were other the kids. There's like a bunch of people called the kid back then. Do you remember the Young Riders? Oh yeah. Well, the Young I was Riders. Kind of, I was like, is this Young Guns or not? When it, when it came <laughs> on, it was it, like, that was a great TV show. I used to obsessively watch that as a kid. Uh -huh. I used to tape every episode and. Um, that they were required to put like a warning at the beginning that was like, "This is not Young Guns." Yeah. Right? No, that's yeah, they were. They really were. Like, well, there was, there like was a... that was like twenty, almost two decades before the Pony Express, eighteen sixty, eighteen sixty one, and there was a character on that played by the actor Ty Miller, who um, he played. His character was called Kid, uh, and I thought, "Oh, that's Billy." Right, but, right. No, really, Billy would have been like two years old at that point, so yeah, it yeah, couldn't have yeah. been Billy the Kid. But uh, Buffalo Bill, Wild Bill Hickok. Uh -huh. um, and there was also a very charismatic um, Native American character running with the Pony Express. Um, and as well as there was also uh, a character who was named Ike, and he was like completely bald and he was also mute. Mm. He, he couldn't speak. Mm. And so there was really, I, I really thought it was like the Sesame Street of the Wild West where you had a lot of good representations. Absolutely. You know, I, well, I why would it be the Sesame Street, though? Because, because Sesame Street Except was like, for with lots of murder. Well, Sesame Street was like the first TV show to embrace diversity and to portray right, right, diverse characters. Right. Um, yeah. I don't think as many Muppets, though, were running around <laughs> Lincoln County, from my understanding. Perhaps not Muppets, but I think that the spirit of the place was like, right, it was... Right. It was diverse, and for Absolutely. that matter, you know, the Young Guns movies I think were also sure, sure cowboys that were rep you know, representing not just white guys but more than white guys. There, right, was, there right. was even a woman on the Penny Penny Express. Her name was Louise, but she wore her hair in a hat and she called herself Lou, oh. so she could disguise the fact that she was a woman so yeah, that she yeah. could run with you know. Run you know, some people have speculated that about Billy. And that brings us to another point. Billy was a man who was in touch with his feminine side, and I think he was bullied for that. Oh, yeah, he was. He was, well, I, I almost think he was a little punk rock, you know, like he wore his hair long. He, uh, and he was just like small and like apparently he was young, but he looked like really young. Like people thought he was like 13, 14 years old when he was like 20. He did have a very youthful appearance and I think, you know, very small bones. And mm -hmm. I guess he was. That's how he was able to on. escape jail a lot of times. I'll just slide no right way. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he could wow. like slide out of because they put him in like you know cuffs built for adults, and he'd be able to slide out. He escaped jail, I think, four or five times. So he wasn't staying in like a maximum maximum security. Well, the last the last one that he was in when he was like getting world famous, it almost was that, and that's that's like what solidified his legend to this day was that he they were like. We're keeping him in the special room. Two guards watching him at all times. We can't let him escape. Like, everybody's out. watching. Um, you know, they're writing stories in New York and stuff. If he escapes, we're going to look really, really bad. And uh, and there's, like, people coming to the prison, like, supporters and people that wanted to hang him, you know. And uh, he still got out somehow. He, st he had, like, a ball yeah. and chain on his ankle or something like that, and he still got managed to get his way out of that. 
Uh, he didn't have a ball and chain, but he was shackled. And uh, they took him to, he convinced him, while well, one of them, while well, one guard like ran across the street, he convinced the other one to take him to the outhouse. And it's still kind of a debate as to how he did it. Some people think a, a friend slipped a gun into the outhouse. Uh, others think he, on his way back, like ran upstairs and got a gun. Uh, I think the, the most likely is that he slipped off the shackles uh, without the guard seeing and whacked him over the head while they were on the stairs and then grabbed his gun. You know, that outhouse scene was very pivotal. It was also very comical, too. Oh, yeah. Because, like, you don't really think of Billy the Kid as somebody who takes shits. Oh, right, sorry. right. <laughs> can, we, can we say shit here? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, because that, that, that was, like, so funny, and he was just so carefree about uh-huh, it all, going uh-huh. to the outhouse. Right. Um, which would be the equivalent of today's porta potty Sure. And so, and it was, like, really, like... You don't. You didn't really. He was such a legend at that point. You didn't really think of him as having these human functions like right, that. Right. Right. Yeah. And and that was a pivotal scene because that was when he did in mm-hmm. fact escape from what. Right. Was, and, th- uh, and then after that, so he killed the one guard who apparently he actually liked and didn't want to kill, but he tried to escape and he had to shoot him. He wanted to take him hostage. Uh, and then the other guard who was who was mean to him, uh, and this is like really what solidified him as like the most badass in the old west was he. He ran upstairs, grabbed that guard's rifle that he had been taunting him with, uh, looked out the window and shot him as he was running back in. Uh, and according to legend, yelling, hello, Bob, before shooting Bob uh, Ollinger. Yeah, yeah. So shot him dead right there. And then on top of that, he still had to leave the town, which was full of people that wanted to kill him, uh, but also full of supporters. And so he had to like give this grand speech on the uh, balcony of the courthouse, which is still there. To all the townspeople of why they should let him go, and uh, and then he rode off into the night. I rem- I've watched those movies probably ten or twenty times each mm-hmm. or more, and so um, a lot of this is coming back. And I guess you could say that it was a really brilliant portrayal, but there's probably more a, a lot more to the story than that. Whenever you make a film or a biopic like mm-hmm. that. There's going to be five or ten different versions of a Absolutely. story that you can fit into two hours, sure, and, and sure. that was merely one of them. Well, that's the cool thing about the Billy the Kid story is like it's not they don't have to make up that much for it. Like in Young Guns and stuff, they they fictionalize a few things, but like it is almost like such a good story that you don't have to really alter anything about it. Did they actually go out into the desert and do a bunch of peyote, or was that just no, for the no, movie? that's for the movie. <laughs> That's okay. why I think, like, like we were saying, the the character of Chavez in real life was not Native American at all, oh. as far as anyone knows. But they, I think, they wanted to add add that uh, magical minority kind of aspect to it. You know, it wasn't even like the two thousands, right? Yeah, that was like an early version of that, I guess. But like experimenting a- with psilocybin would have been. Uh- that was really not too uncommon back really? then. Um, a lot of people think that psilocybin and LSD started in the 60s. Um, I've done some research on this as well, that back in the Old West, mm-hmm. um, particularly um, among a, you know, um, you know, I guess a group of outlaws, in, or, or really it, it could have also been done in an organized, more you know, religious-based way, but it, was, it would have not been a surprise if that really right. did happen. Okay. Um, and there's a good chance that they did it, and they woke up the next day and got back on their horses. Right, just like right, you know, yeah, maybe yeah. a little bit enlightened. In what some was way. the deal with that in in the movie? They they do peyote to figure out where they need to go next because they feel trapped, and then Chavez uh, realizes that they should go through an Indian reservation, uh, and then how are they protected? Like they, they're all worried that the the Native Americans are going to kill them. For going through the reservation, but they don't. 
Um, what the, was that supposed to be <laughs> like? The, we're talking the first one. Yeah. Well, in the first one after the peyote, um, that's a good question because I, I I would say that what you're saying is accurate. That usually when somebody goes on such an experience, a hallucinogenic experience, they will emerge from the experience with answers. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually going to Amsterdam in a couple weeks, and there's Ooh. one thing I, I go there all the time. And one one thing I like to do when I'm there is I like to get answers. Uh huh. And since a lot of things are legal there that aren't legal elsewhere, you know, you might be able to eat a little right, bit right. of magic mushrooms. And yeah. So it's called Amsterdam. It's called Anster- Amsterdam. Amsterdam. I go there uh, and I find uh, the answers now. and I figure out what I'm going to do next. And so cool. that's, um, and I think that in the context of the Old West, these, you know, six cowboy outlaws, whatever, they're in the desert and mm-hmm. they're, they're looking for answers too. They're right, just uh, right. in a different uh, sort of setting. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so... Usually, that kind of experience would also make a person more cautious, believe it or not. Right. Like when you, when you take uh, psilocybin or LSD, it actually strips you of the ego and it breaks down your usual set of experiences. Mm. Basically, the brain has no filter and everything is disorganized or entropic. Mm-hmm. And it's in the process of that chaos that you actually become more thoughtful and more cautious because the ego is not there to get in the way. Mm-hmm. And so there's a good chance that maybe... In the old west, they were looking for security. They were looking right, for right, right, sure. You know, they were looking for answers just like anyone else yeah, would. Yeah, yeah. And and that's what they came up with. Okay. All right. This next one is from uh, Michael Judasissi uh, from Murchison, Texas. I was going to guess. <laughs> Who is uh, yeah uh, working on? I believe a program called um, uh, what is it called uh, from from their. From their mouths or something, from the, the the real voices, something like that, about the Lincoln County War and everything. Uh, we'll post it on the page once I figure out what that is. Uh, he says, like many, I became fascinated with the story of BTK after watching the Young Guns movies. Uh, why the Young Guns movies would turn you on to the bind, torture, kill, murder, I don't know. That, like, that sounds like a Burger King <laughs> sandwich to me. No, there's a, there's a serial BTK. killer called BTK. All right, never, never mind, bad joke. Um, I had only a passing knowledge of Billy before that and had no idea of the events around the Lincoln County War. As the story unfolded on screen, I remember asking myself, did this really happen? After the second movie, I began reading whatever I could find on the kid, beginning with Robert Utley's book, BTK, A Short and Violent Life. With each book I read, I fueled the fire more until I read almost everything I could find. Nothing less than a trip to Lincoln would satisfy me. So after winning two round-trip plane tickets and a contest at work, I visited New Mexico for the first time in 93. To me, the events surrounding the kid and the Lincoln County War were intriguing because of the bigger powers at play. I viewed the kid as a rather ordinary cow hand that was well-liked, but got caught up in something that was far bigger than he was. The idea that this young man from the desert of New Mexico could become a national sensation is still pretty unbelievable. While his exploits for the time were newsworthy, they didn't seem to be more so than a lot of other outlaws in the American West. The kid's story endures because people can and do shape him into whatever they want him to be. Hero, outlaw, horse thief, punk, Robin Hood, ladies' man, whatever. The biggest fascination for me now is seeing how many people desperately want to be right about the kid uh, and tout their facts over anyone else's. Many times in the way of pure logic, the kid is gone, but as long as people debate the life of a 21-year-old horse thief and the killer of three lawmen, uh, I would say four, he'll never truly be dead. It's amazing. Great That's amazing. It's amazing that people have taken trips to Lincoln County, um, and it's become. It sounds like it was a really profound experience for this person yeah. who traveled there. It's really remarkable. And when you think about the short, violent life of Billy the Kid, right. twenty-one years old, usually maybe I, even younger. Yeah, like I thought of like the ultimate 
young tragic death of our time might be like Tupac Shakur who died at 25. Mm. And I think Billy the Kid was even younger than Tupac. Yeah. And that yeah. just it's it's kind of mind-blowing in a way. Right. Um and in his 21 years he managed to do so much. Uh-huh. So much that we you know we might not have the answers to it all, but whatever he did, he left an impact that we are sitting here yeah. in the 21st century yeah. discussing his life. You know, he had like people in Washington D.C. talk. He had like the president literally like, you know, talking about him and sending making um, you know, ordinances on his behalf and, you know, like uh Lou Wallace, the writer of Ben Hur, got together with him, and he may have actually inspired part of his writing. I just think you can get away with literally murder if you're charismatic enough. Like people still <laughs> love you. Isn't that yes, bizarre? But but you know that is true, and that does like bring up the debate. It's like, should we? Be yeah, uh, memorializing this murderer, officers. right? He was like a cop killing, like kind of. But they were extremely corrupt, violent. Th- Still that's, murder, but yeah, that's the debate. Is like, is it wrong for us to be? Are we romanticizing? I a think thug? that's like that's the American way, man. Like in some love, ways, we love our outlaws. In some ways, but I do feel like this particular case is different than a. Um, I don't know a who's someone who's killed somebody Manson or something. Yeah, like different than a serial killer or just or just like a violent criminal type like that's a, killed a bunch of people. It's like the manner in which you kill. You know, it's like he's fighting for his life to get away and be free. Yeah, and that's different than someone who's like Charles Manson who goes to kill somebody because right, right, like right. he's just an evil person. But they were also evil. involved in assassinations early on. Like they, but that's cool. They rounded up like political enemies and shot them. You know, like without. Without what any... for like ransom or something or just for? Uh, well, it, it all started when um, the, the their employer, uh, who was challenging the monopoly of the area, was basically assassinated by the other side. Whoa, whoa, whoa. they had an employer? Yeah, yeah, they worked for a guy. It was there was like two. There was like the Irish government monopoly that basically started Lincoln County and controlled everything and exploited the hell out of a lot of people. Although other people would say, in all fairness, they did create the whole county pretty much. So, um, and then this Englishman came in to challenge uh, the monopoly, and every and all the poor people liked him because he could offer lower prices. There's some free market competition going on now, and um, and so they shot and killed. The uh, the Englishman. All right, so there's still for. some righteousness involved there. Yeah, so you know? so they went and uh, they had the legal right to arrest some of the men who shot their employer to death, but they knew it was pointless because they'd be handing them over to the corrupt government that controlled everything. It was like a government business monopoly, so they just assassinated the uh, the other side instead of arresting them, and that's and it kind of went back and forth like that for a while. Like a lot of what you just mentioned would probably have not been portrayed in a in a movie that would be intended to portray Billy favorably, as I think right, the, right, yeah, you know, the uh, the Hollywood movie certainly did, right. And it, it brings us to an int- another interesting question about how you notice how we look at what Billy might have done or didn't do, and we might just kind of brush it off and say, you know what, it's just it was the Wild West, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like almost like as flawed as we say like let boys be boys when mm-hmm. boys do things that are either self-destructive or right sure else. sure and so um d- to what extent do we say it was just simply the old west or the wild west right. and at what point do we take a close and objective look at what was done and and really assess how we feel about this person because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, i think that you know hollywood magic it can make you feel like wow this absolutely, is, you know, absolutely. It, it can make you feel totally right 
That's why if I had my Crothers, I would make like a, a TV show or a movie that presented both sides, you know, or all the different sides and had people leaving being like, no, I think they were right. You know, like, like it's, I, I hate how movies always have to take a side. You know what I mean? It, it's usually the case. There, there's always this sort of construct of protagonist and antagonist, good guys and bad guys. Mm-hmm. And what was so intriguing about the Young Guns experience, those movies came, I was so young when those movies came out and so impressed by right. them. And it was almost like it was quite possible that the bad guys were the good guys. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard to say. There, there, was, there is a new one. Did you see the new? There's a movie called The Kid that came out uh, this year um, by Vincent D'Onofrio. Really? Yeah, I saw it. It wasn't the, I was pretty let down, honestly, but it was still pretty interesting. You know, it was well shot. It has uh, Dane DeHaan as the kid and um, uh, Ethan Hawke as Pat Garrett. Ethan Hawke, yeah. I yeah. Think he, he would Chris make a Pratt is in it too early. When Ethan Hawke was younger, he would have probably made a pretty good Billy too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised he wasn't in any of I, I bet could, they approached I could see him, him as, a, as like a mustachioed kind of Pat Garrett. Right, right, yeah. You know. And that kind of actually presented a side where the kid wasn't as noble as we tend to think. And Garrett was actually kind of the good guy. You know, if you ever saw Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Oh, absolutely. Well, I think that was my first <laughs> exposure to Billy the Kid. But that Billy, and that was, I say that was my second exposure to Billy the Kid. It was right in between the Young Guns movies. Uh-huh. I swear, when that came out, it was like right in the middle, like eighty nine, <laughs> like you know, right. eighty eight, eighty nine, ninety. But, but the Billy the Kid that was portrayed in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, he was gruff. He wasn't exactly, you know, uh, as sexy. Well, yeah, as, they as took, as they took, he was older too, wasn't he? Yeah, like rough and yeah, older. Kind of older. Uh, they, they took the route of just kind of a stock Western outlaw. You know, I don't think they were actually trying to capture any historical accuracy. But that's the th- that's what like made me so intrigued with the whole story was that I I just thought he was some random you know like crime guy. You know, like uh, I I didn't realize there's this whole like political thing behind it and all this yeah. folklore. Like that's what's fascinating to me. But let's get in real quick to to why why are we so fascinated with this story? You think? Well, it's because I think the, the charismatic factors come into play. I mean, he was really, um, I think, in our lifetimes, mm-hmm. it is portrayed very charismatically in film. Uh, there are books that have been released, I think. I, I had a novel that was called Anything for Billy when I was a kid. I think mm-hmm. it was written by Louis L'Amour. Mm-hmm. And so basically, those movies inspired me to just read and consume everything. Right. If there was a Billy the Kid cereal, I would have right, gotten right. Billy the Kid cereal. Yeah, yeah. You I'd know? like search encyclopedias, you know, for. I learned to look up William H. Bonnie instead of Billy the Kid because he's always listed under that. And I think that a lot of that had to do with the fact that he died young. I think if he would have lived a long life mm-hmm. and there wasn't the element of young death and tragedy involved, I think we probably might have not been as interested. Mm-hmm. But on um, Yeah, that's so true. Oh, yeah. Like absolutely. how many like rock stars like right. because yeah, there's they that went out rock young, star element to it. It's yeah. almost like the thing you were saying earlier, like a lot of people their creativity starts to go right, down. Right, right. So yeah. Even in like the outlaw world, like mm-hmm. maybe became less cool as you got older or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Live fast, die young kind of mentality. Yeah, and that's, uh, um, you know, really, for me, again, I I don't know why I'm so obsessed with with this story, but I just, like, I'm not that into Westerns, so, you know, like, I just, for some reason, the story just has always fascinated me, and I think it, like, 
for me, it also started with Young Guns and the Bon Jovi video for uh, oh, Blaze dude, of Glory. So good. Like just the rock and roll with with the rebellion and the fighting, you know, and like the freedom and the fact that Lou Diamond Phillips, because uh, I was obsessed with La Bamba before. Like oh, that's what got me into rock and roll for the first in the first part. And then Lou Diamond Phillips was in this one. He looked so cool. He had like long, badass hair, and just something about that. He just was like rock and, roll. and then I started reading into it more and more. And there's all this like political stuff behind it, and all this historical. And uh, I don't know. It's just like for some reason I'm just obsessed with the story. And I think that it's um, a lot of factors that went into it. You might also say when I think I'm not into westerns either. Like I mean, I love the western part of the United States. Yeah, I like to go there as every chance I get. Um, but I would also say that I'm not a big fan of Western movies in general outside of the Young Guns and Young Riders. Mm. Um, I really, I think that you know, old westerns are kind of they're they're really classless. They're yeah, one dimensional, sexist sometimes, yeah. and, and and racist as well. And so when I think about the things that I like culturally or politically, like Western movies really don't fit into that. But you could say that Young Guns was like the first progressive Western that maybe mm-hmm. we, that we came across in our lifetimes. Mm-hmm. Maybe there are others. I think that, yeah, I think there have been other progressive Westerns since. And like, I think there was a movie with Sharon Stone uh, as a uh, woman. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, Silver. Quick in the Dead. Quick in the, right. the Quick in the Dead. The quick yeah. By uh, the guy who did Spider-Man and stuff, right? Sam Raimi. Yeah. But I remember. largely, I think you might say that Western movies are not really... Um, how do I say is they're they're not really politically what compatible with maybe our generation? Yeah, they were very well, number one, they're mostly made in like, you know, the fifties and sixties, I think. I, like, I love those movies so do you Sam really? Peckinpah is like my Are you a big of fan of Westerns? I love Sam Well, it depends, but I uh-huh. love Sam Peckinpah movies and they're like pretty everything you were saying that's right, bad right. about stuff. Like they're well, super sexist, super. They're not really racist, I wouldn't say, mm-hmm. but they're definitely sexist. Just and that like, old school masculinity well, there. Yeah, I mean, I think he tried to come at it from, and he had some kind of thing to say about it. it wasn't just to be sexist, but he maybe mm. I don't even know. Like, you guys ever see Straw Dogs before? No. Oh my god, yeah. it's not even a western. Whatever, move right. on. Well, what, was there any westerns that you liked that were about Billy the Kid? I mean, Young Guns. I thought right. it was like one of the cool. I, that was none, like right. The old ones. I'm 39, so like that came out right at my most probably impressionable. Absolutely, age. Me too. And just yeah. like how cool yeah. Emilio Estevez was at the yeah. time. Yeah. Like, yeah, and like, yeah. it's like it, it was like it was just right. the coolest thing ever. Yeah, Derek and I were talking about how it almost seemed like they were a rock band. You know, I was thinking when you were saying this earlier, I was like, yeah, the Outlaws were like they were the original rock stars. Right, right. You know, yeah, and then we were saying too how there's kind of a Guns and Roses connection. Oh yeah. Like we were actually talking about, did they actually kind of model those guys on Guns N' Roses to some degree in the movie? Like as far as like sure. their their look and everything. Well, in 1988 is when the first Young Guns came out, mm-hmm. and Appetite for Destruction had been out for a year by that point, and Guns N' Roses were starting to become a household name. Guns N' Roses were not an overnight success. Right. The, the year the album was out like a year before it hit, I think. And then once it hit, it was like, it was like Nirvana, sure. Nevermind, just like the the yeah, best album everywhere since sliced bread. <laughs> Uh, but the thing about it is, is that I've always thought that because of when I look at the uh, temporal connection between the first and second Young Guns, and you look at the appetite and use your illusions, mm-hmm. um, I, I've seen some similarities, and maybe it's it could be superficial. It could be like I think right. about like you know Axl Rose being the leader of Guns and Roses and Billy the Kid being the leader of the Regulators. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and there might be some other connections. Like I thought that um, Charlie Sheen's character kind of reminded me of Izzy Stradlin, hmm. like quiet, right, right, and he and, yeah. he, and he's one. He's the first one to die, so Izzy was the first to leave Guns and Roses, or no, not the first to leave, but. I guess to leave voluntarily. Right, right. But anyway, I guess you could say there there are certainly some parallels. And when you look at yeah. like 88. And when Emilio 90, jumps through the wedding cake. Uh, no, he he jumped through a wedding no, cake? No, he didn't really. But remember the <laughs> November rain video? So. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he took uh, like 30 <laughs> years to that, make the And then we did that last rag, album. guitar solo. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so um, with Billy the Kid, I think that the fact that he was just so young and just really like set to explode and he mm. was just he was doomed right i think that has a lot to do with why we dig him so much yeah yeah um but when i think about the guns and roses story um if you look at the way the guns and roses were back then it was nothing like the way they are today 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 they are a professional well-oiled sure. machine right they are the consummate professionals, professionals yeah and in their early days, they were they were violent. Like yeah, if, if somebody were, got in their way, they would just knock them out. Absolutely, yeah. And, they were just like savage, you know. Just and like, I think with the, with young guns, it's like they were kind of like in those characters would also like kind of shoot anything that was in their right, way. Right. And um, and there was also the knocking on heaven's door connection, which I just learned that today thanks to you. You t- you taught me that today. You didn't know that that's about Billy the Kid. No, the first thing that song's about was, Billy was, the Kid. Yeah, yeah. It was written for the movie Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid by which Bob is, Dylan. There is a. Western that's awesome. And that's yeah. a Sam Peckinpah movie. Is it really? And Bob oh, Dylan's okay. in it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it yeah. took long enough for me to wrap my head around the fact that that was not an originally a Guns N' Roses song. And that's really? taken me an additional kind of wow. wrapping of my head around right. the fact that it was about Billy the Kid, too. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, yeah. But um, but it's cool that we can kind of geek out like this. And I mean, Absolutely. who, who would have thought, I love it. man? Guns right. and Roses, right. Young Guns, there's a connection. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I th- it all happened at the same time, right. though, relatively. Yeah. What yeah, about sure. Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody, dude? Was that about Billy the Kid? When they go, Now you got me thinking. Just kill- I mean, and then you have the connection of Cattle Queen. That's fascinating, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Wow. It's all coming together Was there a now. song called Cattle Queen by Queen? No, it's a thing no, Mike just called made Queen. up. I did not make up that term. Uncoincidentally. But another isn't thing. There, isn't there a cow <laughs> cover band of Queen called Cow? <laughs> all cow. We'd love to have you in the band, but unfortunately you're not a cow. Super pro Chick-fil-A band. <laughs> well, the guy's a really good bassist. He's not a cow, Roy. He's not joining. If that, that was like a far case, side. If, um, if, if Bohemian Rhapsody were about Billy the Kid, there might be some um, difficult things to measure up. Like, say, for example, Mama just killed a man or whatever. That would be difficult for Billy to say because his mother died when he was... Yeah, to, but know. he could be talking to her posthumously. Doesn't, don't will. they say Mama in um, Knocking on Heaven's Door, though? Yeah, Mama take these... Con- he did have, like, according to the story, he really did have, like, kind of a connection to his mother. Okay. Like, he really had, like, a very... Um, like his mother, you know, he was like very close to his mother. She taught him. She was like kind of tough, but like sweet too, you know, and like taught him to be a little bit more sensitive, I think, than a lot of yeah. these guys. I give props to Billy the Kid's mother because she 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 raised a fine man. Absolutely. <laughs> and then you got Renegade by Styx. We're gonna say that's <laughs> the worst song ever made. But another thing that I really like about the kid, or at least the archetype of the kid, is. He's like funny, you know, like he's totally he seemed like kind of a rebel, like smart ass. Like he kind of saw how hypocritical the adult world was, you know, and just how eh, full of crap people could be with their morals and their you know what I mean? And he was just like this this archetype of like the the young rascal who's just kind of like you are so full of crap. And, and, you know, he was just he was funny. 
Um, let's see. We got one more confession here from Barry from Scotland. We have a confession wow. from no, Scotland, Jimmy. What do you think about that? Yeah. Uh, Billy the Kid is a legend, and to this day, the truth will never be found to who, where, and what happened with Billy. I love the story of the kid as to how he became known as Billy the Kid and what he went through and what he did and why. There's also there's always going to be something out there that we're still not sure of, such as Brushy Bill Roberts or John Miller, who claimed that they were the kid. I guess the question with those is who the hell are those two people? Uh, Brushy Bill was the one presented in Young Guns 2 as uh, the supposedly survived Billy the Kid. Uh, like we were saying earlier, when someone like that dies, uh, there's lots of stories about their survival. And there were many people that claimed to be Billy the Kid. Uh, he had a very shadowy death. They kind of just buried, you know, like he was just kind of killed in the dark and buried real quick. And so, of course, that led to stories of, uh, you know, he survived. And then people started coming out and saying they were Billy the Kid. And one was Brushy Bill, who's the most famous one, mainly because he was portrayed in Young Guns 2. And uh, he's been pretty disproven, um, although some people would disagree with that. And then there's John Miller, who I think his biggest connection is that he kind of looked like the kid. Like his picture looks like an elderly version of the one picture of Billy the Kid that exists. Um, and What's that? Could it be that Billy was so beloved, much like our, yeah. like our rock stars who die young? Right, today. right. You don't want to believe it. And he, his his yeah. life was so sensational that his his death was really just kind of a, you know, just just kind of lame compared. Like he just did like the greatest escape in America and was the most wanted fugitive in America. And you know, people were like writing stories about, oh my god, I think I saw him in this. You know, like people were claiming they saw him and he became this boogeyman. And then he just got shot. By you know, in the dark. I think he was a part of the public's conscience, mm -hmm. and at the same time, maybe there were some who really did fear him, so they thought that they were having maybe a flashback, and they thought, "Oh, is that Billy?" You know, right? Yeah, there was. So a lot he, of that. there's a good chance that he may have been beloved, and he might have also been feared. Yeah, for um, sure. Like, I mean, you know, how, like we love Guns and Roses, mm -hmm. but do you think? How do you think someone feels that maybe had a run-in with Guns and Roses back in the day? They, they, they <laughs> probably like, "Oh, fuck, is that Axel?" You know, like they get scared, right? Right. Yeah, they there's tell their kids that's oh. Matt Sorum outside your window if you if you're bad. <laughs> do you guys know? Do you guys know Terry Southern, the writer Terry Southern. He wrote like Doctor Strange Love with Stanley Kubrick and Barbarella and like Easy Rider and stuff. Yeah. Now, anyway, he well. talks about meeting Keith Richards and Mick Jagger. Right. And he's like, when you meet them. You, they're kind of awesome, but also really scary. Sure. Like you're not sure if they're gonna hug you or stab you. It's, wow. it sounded. Yeah, I really, I've, I've tried to like. Li right, I want to live right. up to that. I think that's a really cool thing to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is just really that, that, that mix of like danger. What were you gonna say, Jeremy? Nothing. I'm mumbling to myself. <laughs> stupid things. <laughs> what do you say? I'm an old curmudgeon. Everybody <laughs> talking about. Keith Who would have thought that Keith Richards and Mick Jagger would be? Um, <laughs> I don't really, I don't really think of them as being that kind of uh, violent. Back in the day, the Rolling Stones were the renegade alternative to the Beatles. I, I um, gotta find the quote. I'll, I'll send the quote to Mike. Have him send it to you. It, it's a really cool quote. Like <laughs> just like you just don't know. They're just a little <laughs> unpredictable when you meet them. You just don't know how it's gonna go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I guess that is kind of like an ideal way to be to some degree. Like we look up to people that are both. Decent and sensitive, but also you can't mess with them, you know, have a little bit of danger. Was there them. that thing? It's like you want to have the claws, but not use them. Sure. Something like that. Right. Wolverine. That's a good quote, dude. Is <laughs> <laughs> that sarcasm? <laughs> no, I'm being real. I like that, dude. <laughs> 
solid. All right. Well, this has been a great episode, guys. Derek, thank you so much for coming by. Anything else you want to talk about before we wrap it on up? Yeah. You know, I actually have a podcast confessional to make myself. Let's hear it. Well, in 1990, I was about 12 years old, and I saw Young Guns 2 in the theaters with my dad and younger brother. All right. And I remember watching the scene when when Doc, the character played by Keeper Sutherland, was shot brutally to death and he was coughing up blood. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that was just so much for my 12-year-old self to take in. It was a PG-13 movie, but mm -hmm. it was actually more traumatizing than the first one. It was more brutal in some ways. And I remember... Um, walking out of the theater with tears in my eyes. Wow. And I don't think that my dad or my brother even noticed that. They were just like, oh, mm -hmm. just a movie. You know, it's good, whatever. But um, but I was really, I think I was traumatized by that. And I think about today how shootings in America have become so normal. Mm. And I think about what people go through every single time there's a shooting and they lose someone that they love, or even people that just hear about the shootings on the news and are traumatized by it. So I think that, um, I guess on a more serious note, I guess I'd like to see that kind of change happen in the world where we don't have to be afraid. Yeah. You know, like yeah, all the time. Yeah, I certainly, um, yeah, there's certainly like a lot of things we could learn from those those stories back then. And I definitely, sometimes I feel weird about like, am I sensationalizing that type, you know, like am I romanticizing that violence more than I should, you know, from back in those days? Because it's like, you know, shootings in real life are not like, in movies where it's all cool and like you know you're like a squib flies out and you fire one last shot before you fall down valiantly like these these killings even in the billy the kid days must have been really brutal and disgusting and sad you know it's it's not as cool as it seems on tv well sometimes, the know? bullets it's back then were not like the bullets today like the bullets today will go right through a human body and puncture uh -huh. everything and back then the bullets were probably you know Potentially fatal, but still not quite as destructive as today's mm -hmm. um, bullets. Well, from what I understand, infections were often what killed people back then. Rather than the actual... Yeah, you could get hit at any part of your body and still die from it because of the infections. Jeez. Yeah. And I mean, that's why so many people died in the Civil War. Their plus guns everything were was like in black nothing and white compared then, to what we so had. That'd be rough. What's that? I said, plus everything was in black and white back then. That's true. Everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is very true. Whereas today, what what the bullet is really what does the killing? Because even if a person gets shot in a non, you know, not around a vital organ, the bullets that are used today, they often break apart while they're in the body, mm -hmm. and and that metal, that shard of whatever's in yeah, the bullet, like will will go right into a vein and then right. yeah. done. There was a. I used to live in South Carolina, and there was a guy who had been in World War II and got shot, survived, and then like I guess it was been like no one ever knew he had hepatitis. Uh, C maybe hmm. but no one ever one day just dropped dead from the infection from the bullet from like 30 years before wow. but just like one day wow. just dropped him so then it's like really impossible to tell gun death statistics completely because yeah like maybe 30 years later you right, die yeah. from it yeah, yeah. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much. This was an excellent episode. Thank Real, you, uh, learned a lot of things. Had a lot of fun. Thanks, everybody. Uh, and we will see you next time on the confessional. 